Show me the money. This is the MoneyWeb Be a Better Investor podcast. Picking the brains of professional investors on their investment strategies, successes, and mistakes. Your host, Rake Fanica. Welcome to this week's edition of the Be A Better Investor podcast. My name is Raik van Niekerk and in this podcast series, I speak to leading investors and business leaders about investments and we also take a peek into their personal investment approaches and portfolios. We try to understand how they analyze investment opportunities, what shares and assets they invest in and whether they have more hits than misses. And the idea is to identify a few golden nuggets of wisdom to assist amateur retail investors to become better investors. My guest today is Keith McLaughlin. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Integral Asset Management. He has been in this role for three years, although he has worn many hats. And one of the most interesting was that he founded the financial blog smallcaps.co.za. Keith, thank you so much for your time today. First of all, tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up and when were you first exposed to investments? Break. Thanks very much for the opportunity to speak here. Um, I grew up in Port Elizabeth and I went to a Pearson High School there before uh, progressing on to UPE, doing my articles at PricewaterhouseCoopers. Now, along the process, even in high school, I started getting interested in financial markets, but I didn't really have any guidebook to go on. So I tried my way to read and understand them that I only really started getting to grips with as a beginner in varsity and used effectively half of my scholarship that I put into the market. And back in those early 2000 days, that was the perfect time to do this. And I thought I was a genius doubling my money every year in the stock market. But actually, uh, pre-credit crisis, I was probably underperforming. (laughs) But did learn a lot by doing it. And that's also a very important theme through this is that I believe in learning by doing. A lot of people want to do that. Not everybody can. And obviously, when you, in quotation marks, play with money while you're still very young, there can be some consequences. And many people who do not do it will only see the risks. Obviously, you saw the opportunities. So tell us about those first few trades you've made. For example, what was the very first share you bought? So I think the first share I bought was a company called Zaptronics, which goes really, really far back. I thought I was very clever, and now I realize how embarrassing naive I was uh, many years ago. But uh, I thought it was cheap because it was one cent, and I got to sell it at two or three cents, and I thought I was very, very smart, which is absolutely painfully awkward. But if you can't look back on past self, and you don't cringe a little bit, you haven't actually grown, and that's that's important. But you know, perhaps play was the wrong word I used with half my scholarship money, but I split it that way because I was in a really fortunate position. My father was a lecturer at uh, UPE and therefore I was in a privileged position. I got effectively my education for free. This allowed me to decide what to do with the scholarship money. So I took half of it and invested it. I thought that would be a very valuable experience to effectively purchase through the act of investing. Interesting lesson arose from it where I split that initial investment, the market, into two parts, a trading part and an investing part. And despite spending 99% of my effort on the trading part, the investing part outperformed it. That was the moment when I realized that returns aren't necessarily correlated to activity. And I shifted my focus much more into the investment world as opposed to the trading world. 
Let's talk about that investment approach you took when you were still at Varsity. How did you analyze investment opportunities? What was your approach? There isn't a huge amount of value in, in terms of unpacking how naive I was at Varsity. But definitely as time went on, I read more and more and I figured out what worked and then you start to play to your strengths. And this is also important in the stock market, play to your strengths. Figure out the aspects that you're better at and try to use those to a greater degree than the things that you're weak at. And it definitely started me down the journey. I discovered Peter Lynch. He's got one up on Wall Street as a book that he writes. And he was the first one that introduced me really to the world of small cap investing, which you touched on earlier, the blog I found at Small Caps the Cosa. And I started realizing not just is this a part of the market where one can generate fantastic alpha, it's also a part of the market where there isn't really a lot of research. So you can uncover some unlooked at gems. And that's when I realized I could actually get further mileage out of the research by putting it out there in the internet. I mean, the first thing I encountered is when I Googled some of these companies, there was no one writing about them. Therefore, I thought there was a nice niche. Now, we're going to talk about small caps in a moment. But you're now a professional investor. You're the chief investment officer of Integral. How significantly different is your investment approach now? It's far more holistic because it has to be. We don't just add integral, the portfolios we manage and the clients we have, the assets that we invest are not invested just in single niches and single economies. We really look across asset classes. We look across markets, across geographies, and one has to. And you have to be able to pull all of these things together. So it is good to have a basis in a real market, but you've got to expand it as you go along. That, I think, was one of the key lessons I learned over the last decade or so, is that uh, niches can be powerful, but if one wants to build a bigger business, it can't be niche. It's got to be expansive in terms of everything you're looking at. Let's talk about small caps. It's a very popular blog, and a lot of people look at small caps because they believe or maybe hope is a better word they hope that the small company becomes a big one like uh, capitec which started off as a micro lender and is today one of the biggest banks in south africa you don't see such success stories often why did you become so i don't want to say infatuated but focused on small caps for those who are new in South Africa to investing, they won't appreciate how vibrant the JSC was about 10, 15 years ago, where there was a small cap listing boom, particularly on the part of the JSC called Altex. So at the same time, you could generate a lot of alpha in this portion of the market if you're willing to do the research and you're willing to carry some more risk than the market. We also had a far greater number of options in this space. It was a fantastic beachhead into the industry to build both my experience and my brand. And ultimately, you arrive at the point where I was managing money in the space, which is also quite important you know, for newcomers to industry, or at least old-timers in the industry won't appreciate how high the current barriers to entry are to get into the industry. So it was, it was a good beachhead in. But like I said, as both South Africa has effectively underperformed for the last decade, and that portion of the market has shrunk domestically, and at the same time, from a career and a perspective and a capital allocator wearing a capital allocator's hat, my role has expanded and it naturally includes looking at uh, offshore marks, looking at other assets and the like. And that's been a wonderful uh, progression for me. How do you think 
young amateur investors, people who've just entered the job market, they get their first paycheck, their first bonus, and they want to use that to invest and build a portfolio. How do you think, should they view small caps as an investment option? So it's a valid investment option, but you know, and this is always a broad question because different investors have different risk tolerances, but it's a perfectly valid allocation within a broader portfolio. I certainly think if you're not going to spend significant amounts of time looking through the sector and or you just don't have the ability to, perhaps you're a medical professional, not a financial professional, and you don't want to learn all the complexities of that. I would outsource that allocation in your portfolio. And what I mean by that is pick an ETF or pick an active fund manager. I run two AMCs that are listed on the JSC that actually have underlying small cap portfolios, a domestic one and an offshore one, and invest in that. But don't make it the entirety of your portfolio. Your objective across a long period of time is the accumulation or compounding of wealth. And especially when you're young, and or when your portfolio is small, big drawdowns can have big effects, especially if you panic at the bottom. So it should be part of an holistic portfolio approach. Would you have taken that advice when you were 80, 90, 20 years old? Almost definitely not. <laughs> it sounds, sounds very boring, but I was always a little bit more of a risk-seeking individual, or at least I had a higher risk tolerance, and that served me well in terms of gaining experience. But... That is also not for everyone. So this is very much general advice. The individual must make the decision for themselves. There's a difference between trading and investing and actually a significant difference. And many young people, as you've said earlier, think if you trade more, you can make more money. And that is not the case. So do you think your patients have increased as you've aged? I definitely think, and this is always a moving target, but my process has been refined a lot more. And as one has experience, you know how to handle certain situations better. What I mean by that is as you refine your process, you become better at either identifying risks before they materialize or at finding the characteristics one likes, even if the market moves against you, you merely accumulate more of that. And that's where the experience plays into this. So I think largely it hasn't changed, it's just gotten better. And these things all playing together. And this is something I can't emphasize enough. Experience is very important. You can read about these things, but until you've emotionally experienced them, you're not certain how you react and you don't necessarily have the same set of tools as an experienced person in this place. So process isn't enough. Read a lot of books and understand how the market works. Know what you like, know what you don't like. You also have to give yourself time in the market to experience it. So I don't think patience is the thing that's improved, but conviction has. And I also think the investment world has changed significantly since the late 2000s. You know, that's when I got involved in the market. And as you've said, you know, you could have invested in anything and it would have increased in value. Then we had the crash in 98, if I remember correctly, and then 2000 with the dot-com, 2009. And it is very, very volatile. And if you look at the investment world now, do you think the way the market has changed influences your investment approach? 
So the short answer, and it's going to be a bit of a vague statement, but the short answer is everything influences everything. I mean, think of the rise of passive has made flows more important in terms of the market and indices more important. At the same time, technology that exists now didn't exist 20 years ago. And I'm not just talking in terms of technology offerings in the market like Microsoft and Meta and technology investments, but actually technology from algorithms and high frequency trading and things like that. The markets are more complex. Markets are more accessible, which also changes things. There's much less of an information advantage in these days. Even a retail investor can likely download or get access to more or less the same online data that a sophisticated fund manager can. There might be differences and still uh, terminology, financial markets have been democratized and that has changed how you generate alpha. You either generate alpha by being the first, the smartest, or the most emotionally mature, i.e. patient and the like. And that's also changed the way you have to approach it. What hasn't changed is compounding and time and investor sentiment and emotions still play a large component in wealth building or wealth destruction, depending on how well you do it or how badly you do it. How big a role does luck play? It absolutely plays a role. There's a very nice way of working out whether a game is luck dependent or skill dependent. And that way is trying to lose it. So I'll give you an example. If I play against an opponent in chess and I actively play to lose, I can lose every time. As opposed if we were playing with opponent, a coin toss, and I actively trying to pick the wrong heads or tails every time, I'd still win 50% of the time and lose 50% of the time because that's the way statistics works. And therefore, chess is a game of skill and flipping a coin is a game of luck. Now, markets are in that gray zone between the two. And much like you know, playing a hand of poker or playing a, a game of pool where beginners can wipe out professionals in short periods of time, that can happen in the market. I think what proves skill over luck is consistency through time. And uh, that's very, very important to take from this is you need a process and you need to be consistent and you need to be certain that that is the correct process as well. So luck certainly plays a role in the short term. As you go through time, luck gets arbitraged out and skill appears. Yeah, very, very good point you make there. Then just lastly, two big questions. First of all, what has been your best investment ever? And I'm talking here in your personal capacity. Which investment are you the most proud of? I'm going to give you two examples, and they're actually local examples. Capitec, although I no longer hold them, invested in them many, many years ago. And they were trading at the same, if not a slightly lower valuation than the other banks, but growing faster. And the whole market was fixated on the credit book, which actually I was reasonably comfortable with and didn't see the fact that they were carving out a third of the retail banking market with a single product that they were going to start layering other products on. So you get a huge network multiplier effect happening here. And that did spectacularly well, although that has been exited. And then my other investment, which actually I've held longer, bought before Capitec and I held longer and I still hold, is Santover. And Santover operates in the global logistics space. It is 
well run. It is global. It is lowly valued. It is growing quickly. And it is part of such a huge market that if Santover were to get 1% of global trade, it would likely be one of the biggest stocks in the JSE. I mean, Capitec ended up being a multi-bagger. Santover, I think it must be up about seven or eight times my investment. And actually, I think there's still lots, lots to come there. Conversely, what has been the, your worst investment ever, the one you really don't want to tell other people about? <laughs> Missing out on Bitcoin, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, probably the worst investment I made was early on, before I'd become professional, while I was still somewhere between student to doing articles, investing in, the, in a company that was listed in the Altex boom days called Country Foods. And Country Foods was a farming operation. What they found was mushrooms. And the reason I liked that was, first of all, not just is food nice and defensive, we have to eat, but mushrooms, because you've got to build effectively tunnels that you grow these mushrooms in, actually is very high barriers to entry for farming. So very defendable. And then you added in, in the fact that interim results, which were the results I used to buy into the stock, they put out really good profits and they were trading on a very low multiple. So I thought I was really, really smart investing in this. Now, between the interim financials and the final financials that came out at year end, they went bankrupt. And it happened so quickly, unless you're looking at the cash flow statement. And really what happened was there was working capital buildup and pressure and ultimately it, they went under, not because of accounting profits. And remember, you don't pay the bills and you don't repay debt with EBITDA and accounting profits. You pay it back with cash. And this was a formative moment where I realized quite how important the cash flow statement is. And it remains a very key focus in terms of the business as we invest it. Yeah, I think that is the most important statement within a company's annual financial statements because a cash flow statement can't be manipulated, can't lie. And cash is always king. Profits you don't always can spread on your bread, but cash you can. And I think that's a very, very good point you make. But Keith, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your insights. Only a pleasure, Rake. Good to be here. That was Keith McLachlan. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Integral Asset Management. Show me the money. That was The Money Web. Be a better investor podcast with Rake for Kneecap. Thanks for listening. Catch up and listen to all the MoneyWeb podcasts on moneyweb.co.za or the app. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.